You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Uh, one thing that I do wish that you know, the creatives would do better is to do more groundwork in letting people know that, like, while this is ridiculous and we are making fun, this is something that is really happening. Like, wow, I wish just as, you know, clearly as, you know, they have the Latter-day Saint ad in it, like you've seen the play now read the book. I wish there was something in the playbills that was like, you know, you've laughed about it. Now here are resources to help you gotten women who have gone through this, you know, like, dang. Hallelujah. I feel like that is definitely missing. Welcome, everybody, to a musical theater podcast where we discuss the cultural and emotional impact of some of our favorite musicals in theater history. My name is Jeffrey Scott Parsons. You can call me Jeff. Today, we are covering the musical The Book of Mormon, which is the most requested musical we've received from you, the listeners. I have no idea why that would be. I'm kidding, of course. For those who may be listening for the first time, I, like Nephi, seer of olden times, was born of goodly parents. I served a mission as a Spanish-speaking missionary in Texas, which I probably talk about way too much, but only because there's rarely a day I don't think about those two years of my life. I'm still a practicing member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Also, I'm gay, so I have some thoughts about this show. (laughs) That being said... This is not about me and my personal portrayals, which are many. It is about the work, and here to talk to me about it is the perfect guest. She can currently be seen in Hamilton in Los Angeles and has been seen as Nabalungi all over the United States in the Book of Mormon. Everyone, please welcome to the podcast, Candace Quarles! Hi! <laughs> Candace. So much for having me. Thank you for being here. I'm honored. I'm honored to have you on the show. I remember talking to you like years ago now about this show. And um, I can't remember exactly how you put it, but basically... It was three years ago. (laughs) So crazy. Amen. Uh, But basically that when you were on tour, you got asked a lot of hard questions. So at this point, like talking about the show doesn't scare you at all. Yeah, not at all. And I mean, there is a um, feeling of removedness from it as well. Like, sure, you know, having moved on and the world post pandemic and post George Floyd. And so, yeah, perspective also helps. Well, I always see with the Book of Mormon, I see 
the quote was it Ben Brantley who's like the best musical of the century and I look back on that and I'm like that is in 2011 that that's pretty early to be making that call it's like in ragtime it's like we have 94 years to go <laughs> um but uh I mean the jury's still out a little bit as to how this show is going to age, especially since now it has reopened on Broadway with a couple of changes, which we'll talk about yeah. in this episode. But I don't know. I guess in a general point of view, where do you stand with the show right now? I, at the core of me, believe that art and theater is meant to challenge and be a conduit for conversation. Like Totally. None of us are all going to get things right. It's just the willingness to listen, which I have. Yeah, willing. I I have been very impressed with how a lot of the shows have come back and they're just like openness to change. And I mean, it's a very old system, Broadway, right? Like (laughs) for sure. I think until a lot of old people pass. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it will continue to get a lot wrong. Um, but in no. the meantime, at least we have ways to talk about it. And I, I appreciate that part of it all, you know? Totally agree. Uh, maybe the only thing I talk about more than my mission is Brene Brown. And one of my favorite things that she says is it's not about being right. It's about getting it right. And that's a process, right? A long it, one. Yeah, a long one that requires a lot of uncomfortable conversations and uh, I'm grateful for that you're here to have a conversation with me. And by the way, it's not going to be that uncomfortable. <laughs> We're still going to have a good time. I'm, yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Now, talk to me about how the show came into your life. So I went to college at Belmont University in Nashville, majored in musical theater. And um, a part of our whole like curriculum like being in Nashville somewhere where like auditions don't happen very often we were asked to you know if something is coming through town like get the experience by going in for the open calls and like that's great to make your own appointments and have your headshots ready and what would you sing like with full expectations of like never booking anything (laughs) but just like having the experience because we're not in a large city you know totally So Book of Mormon was doing an open call. It came through like on our like group Facebook page. Um, I sent in my headshot resume, got an appointment time in between classes, went in. And two weeks later, I was being flown out to New York for final callbacks. (laughs) So that's crazy. Yeah. Very like unexpected. Yeah. I was in my first semester of my sophomore year, even like as I was in New York, didn't believe that I was going to get it like at that second. It was very much so I was under the impression like, wow, this is all so cool. I had a great experience in New York. Yeah. And about a month went by and I didn't hear anything. And, you know, just like slipped back into my normal schedule. And right before Christmas uh, break, I got a call saying that I was off with the roll. So it was very fast. I literally like I got the call, I think December, like, I don't know, 14th or something. The last day of school was December 16th. And I was in my I was in New York for rehearsals like December 18th. <laughs> oh, my heavens. Holy cow. And then how long were you with the show? 
I was with the show for almost three years. I loved my cast. I still keep in touch with a lot of them. A lot of them are out here in LA, which is really cool. We get to stay connected and, you know, the world of musical theater is very small. So I feel very fortunate that I was able to start out with such a bang and to meet so many amazing vets and like get to learn from all of them. And yeah, it was such a blessing. In doing a show like this, in which satire is the main language, right? I feel like it's going to be received differently throughout the country. And was that the experience for you? Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny because I started my first dates were my first like four months were all in Florida and like North Carolina, South Carolina. So very Bible belty, old and white places. Yeah. Um, So I was like under the impression, like we have to really work for these laughs. Like Mm. a lot of people were, you know, hesitant to laugh, shocked at what they were hearing. It was towards, I mean, it wasn't very, late into the run either i think i started maybe like three years into the new york run yeah so people were seeing this for the first time first time not to mention the the production team or producers or whatever were very secretive about what this show was going to be nobody knew what it even looked like until it was already open exactly yeah so it was a lot of people's first experience with it and i mean the second you meet the Ugandans, like we're saying crazy things. Uh, (laughs) So it was a lot of that. But as we moved, you know, like further west and further north, I started to realize, oh, like our experience in these cities is going to be so dependent on like the culture, the, the, the climate, the who who is buying the tickets to the show. Yeah. Like Chicago, for instance, like they love the, I mean Chicago is one of the best I mean it is the best city to do theater in besides thank you New York. I completely yeah, agree love yeah. Chicago love Chicago they are just I mean they are theater goers it's it's an amazing city to do any show so I think being there was sort of my first experience and being like oh wow like this is huge and people get it and there is forgiveness and I don't know, mm, I guess mm. the, the, the comedy of it settled in more, you know, the, the more I got out of Florida. <laughs> <laughs> to all of our listeners in Florida, we love you. We see we you, you. We support you. Yeah. Um, that being said, comedy is I, I and look, I'm not going to sit here today and tell people what is funny and what is not funny. Like, let's just get that right out there. Yeah. It is a matter of taste at times. And in the case of satire, really dependent on whether or not people are willing to lean in and either see themselves uh, take responsibility, accountability for what is being satirized. Sometimes the South Park guys are really good at it and sometimes they're not. And I think that both are very present in this show. And I can imagine certain audiences in the country not knowing how to lean in. And so they instead maybe think they should sit back and laugh at. And that's when things get a little tricky. Yeah, that's such an interesting perspective. I've not thought about it like that. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, I think that is also what 
the show is learning as it is adjusting, right? Like we don't want to laugh at, we want to lean in. Like Mm -hmm. I I think comedians are adjusting, shows are adjusting. We're all learning the difference between the two, right? Yeah, agreed. That's because we think something's funny. Like, is it funny? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And why? Yeah. And like that question, that curiosity, man boy, uh, that has been the thing that's kept coming up for me this year is curiosity is always the right answer. If I am laughing at something, it's time to ask why. If I'm not laughing at something, it's time to ask why, you know? Yeah, yeah. There's always a really interesting answer to be found there. Now, when I first heard that the South Park guys were creating a musical about the Book of Mormon, I, I honestly wasn't surprised. I was like, oh, that tracks, because I had already seen the South Park episode all about the church, which is actually pretty funny. Have you seen it? (laughs) I think yes. Yes. I'm pretty sure it was like part of our rite of passage. (laughs) You you get this little package (laughs) full of of things to look through. Um, You should watch the episode. Right. Uh, I mean, it just shows what they do so well when spoofing religion, which is they just full straight face spout off doctrine without any spiritual principles tied to it and thereby reveal the ridiculousness of how it sounds. You know what I mean? If you just say 16-year-old got pregnant from God and had Jesus, you know, like that, like that sounds crazy. They also did a terrible film, (laughs) sorry guys, called Orgasmo, where Trey Parker plays a missionary who is trying to save people and ends up in porn. Have you heard of this? No, I haven't. It's, it's terrible. But then they also did Team America, which I think is hilarious. Yes, I've seen that. And that's basically a musical. So you put like all of these things together and then add a little Robert Lopez and Casey Nicola and boom, you've got the Book of Mormon. Right. So I, I wasn't surprised. I saw the show. I saw the national tour, first national in L.A., And I got to say, I wasn't offended. It's pretty difficult to offend me at this point in art. Like, personally, it's another story. I'm still working on that. But there were actually things I thought were funnier because I had served a mission. And I'm sure we'll discuss some of those as they come up. My bit that I always say, and it still stands, is that at some point while watching the first act, I realized, oh, this is what real orphans must feel like watching Annie. (sighs) Yeah. You know, where it's like, oh, that's cute. I mean, not entirely realistic, but cute. And I think most of all, I was struck by how traditional it felt as a musical. Absolutely. It's the, giving tap number. It's giving glittery vests. It's giving, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And and there's I mean, there's just so much respect for the musical theater art form in the creating of this show. I guess what I'm trying to say is they're spoofing a lot of things in the show, but musical theater isn't necessarily one of them. They're doing it sincerely. And I'm here for Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. Which I think is why why it did so well. It is at the end of the day, like a fantastic example of a musical. Like mm-hmm. formulaically, it is an A plus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally agree. It's constructed so smartly and so well. Now, the story behind it is the same from all accounts, from what I understand. Trey Parker and Matt Stone, creators of South Park, attend Avenue Q, the musical Avenue Q in New York, which was written by Robert Lopez. And as they're sitting there watching this show, which is an irreverent take on Sesame Street, they're like, holy cow, we got to meet this guy 
he is 100% doing what we love to do. And we should we should work together on something. So they contact Robert Lopez. He basically says the exact same thing, which is, oh, I've always wanted to work with those dudes. And this is what comes out of it. Now, I know, I don't know all of the ins and outs of this, but I'm pretty sure like the book writer and director of Avenue Q was originally attached. And then at some point he left and Casey Nicola was brought on, right? Is that true? Yes, that is true. And nobody knows like... What happened. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> totally, totally. Um, but also a, a smart decision because nobody knows Broadway showbiz like Casey Nicola. Casey Nicola. Yeah. Were you able to work with him in New York when you were rehearsing? Yeah, I worked with him in New York when I was rehearsing. And um, the creatives also came out pretty often on tour. Um, oh, wow. Um, we saw them at least every three months, like the Casey and Stephen Aramis and Musical our director. associates were there. Yeah, even more often. So, yeah, they definitely kept the machine sharp. <laughs> uh, what would... Uh... That's interesting because, once again, looking at a show this unconventional, you would think that it wouldn't operate like a machine. But it is a machine. <laughs> um, how would you describe working with some of these guys? Anything come to your mind? Um, it's interesting. They are all very professional, very traditional, mm-hmm. very talented. I mean, I was 18, so <laughs> a lot of my first year was just me being like so nervous all the time <laughs> whenever they were around. But as I got older and as I got more comfortable, they definitely we opened to each other together. You know, the associates were always very like parental towards me, which was really nice. Hmm. But when it came to like Stephen Aramis and Casey Nicola, it was very like me feeling like, OK, I have to prove something. I have to prove myself, which not a good feeling, not a good feeling, but so Broadway, you know, Oof. and yeah. so it was a lot of that for me. I think being in Hamilton has also provided such perspective because it is so relaxed and so personable. Like, you know, like I could text Tommy Kale right now and, you know, have a whole full joking fest. Whereas like, I would never do that with Casey <laughs> Nicola. <laughs> so, That's fascinating. Yeah. It's interesting how each show can have its own culture. Absolutely. I think that a lot of people might not realize that, but I hear it all the time. Like, oh, that's so Book of Mormon. Oh, that's so uh, Wicked. Wicked always has its own culture. Uh, The way that they run the show, because you've got how many companies of this performing all over the world, you know? So they definitely have this unified perspective on how the show should go. Absolutely. Um, And that's not always fun, first of all. No, <laughs> but it helps them make money. So I think they sometimes think it's worth it. Yeah. And I mean, I think it even comes down to producers. I mean, mm. Scott Rudin is the producer of Mormon versus. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. He has his own controversy going on. Absolutely. So, you know, that trickles down just like Oof. 
That's so and true. how we feel with the creatives, you know. So definitely, you know, the more work I do, the more people I meet and directors I meet, everything shifts into a whole new perspective, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, the show opens in 2011 to rave reviews across the board, truly. People, I think, are shocked and delighted at the same time. They can't believe that they are hearing the things on the stage that they hear while also feeling somewhat uplifted because truly at the end of the show, you feel like a million bucks. It's really good for Broadway cares when they're holding the buckets because you leave the show on such a high. You're like, yes, take the money. You give me the money. Uh, The show wins many Tony Awards, goes on tour, was running on Broadway until the pandemic. It is back open and is officially one of the longest running shows. I think it has already passed 42nd Street in terms of performances on Broadway. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah. There's so much to talk about with the show, and we're going to just jump right into the show itself because things will come up. I am giving myself three buzzers. And only three, because I do not want this episode to be just about me going, that's not real. That would never happen. But I am giving myself three of them, and I have marked them throughout the show. Uh, When it is time, you will hear the buzzer. (laughs) Otherwise, feel free to share your feelings, uh, comments, and or concerns. Now, when the show opens, we are in what's called the Missionary Training Center. Yes. This is a real place. You go to the training center, in my case, to learn another language. Uh, I was there for six weeks. If you're not learning another language, you're only there for a couple weeks before going out into the field. I actually know that, like, my nephew is currently on his mission, and some of his training was actually virtual now because of of the pandemic. So, like, once again, things always changing. Anyway, it's this great song, a great, like, boom chuck song called Hello. In which all of the missionaries, all the elders, are learning how to make an approach and talk to people about what we do on a mission, which is share the message of Jesus Christ. And one thing that I want to say about my experience is that that can be done in a myriad of ways. And I found that the least effective way was by knocking on people's doors. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Don't waste your time knocking on people's doors. And furthermore, never ring a doorbell. That's the number one. That's like my first buzzer about this musical. I would never ring someone's doorbell. It is already invasive enough to walk up to their doorstep and be like, hi, can I introduce myself? Let alone ring their doorbell. But anyway, so they're in this missionary training center. It's a great song. And we meet a couple of main characters. Main character number one, Elder Price. How would you describe Elder Price? Elder Price is giving quarterback of the missionaries. I mm, mm, MVP. Totality. Yeah, MVP. Mm-hmm. The, the most handsome, the most organized. He has such promise. Like he's giving the one that everyone wants to be like, at least in the musical, at least that's what he believes in his own head, you know? Absolutely. The perfect Donny Osmond smile. (laughs) Like it's all there. It's all working for him. Uh, We also have Elder Cunningham and how, (laughs) Oh, Elder Cunningham. How would you describe him? 
black sheep, you know, sure. the one that, you know, people make fun of or they don't think is going to do very well or, you know, he's he's loud. He doesn't really have a filter. He doesn't quite yes. get the mission at all, really. <laughs> he's sort of just there because that's where his parents put him. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think if I ever had a companion like Elder Cunningham. No. No, I've had some friends like Elder Cunningham. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love that he has this wild imagination. Like, that's what he calls it. He calls it using his imagination. His parents call it lying. Yes. Um, but he's always making up stories, which is dangerous when uh, serving a mission, as he will soon prove. At the end of this opening number in meeting these missionaries, they receive their callings to go out into the world. <laughs> that is false. <laughs> you think the super organized church would send you to Africa without telling you beforehand? Like you got to you got to pack for that sort of thing. If you're going to uh, Uganda versus Moscow, you're going to need a couple of different things in the suitcase. Absolutely. So, but I totally get it. It's a musical, right? They receive their callings. Some are going to Japan. Uh, Elder Price is dreaming of going to Orlando, which 100% tracks. My partner always kids that Disney and the church are like interchangeable, uh, particularly because our temples look like Sleeping Beauty's castle. Yeah. I know. I mean, <laughs> he's not wrong. Uh, <laughs> we do love we do love Disney. We do love Disney World. So uh, he's dreaming of going to Orlando where he actually gets sent is Uganda. And not only is he getting sent to Uganda, but his companion is Elder, Elder Cunningham. Cunningham. Yep. <laughs> um, now, is this one of the big changes in the show? Originally, the way that Elder Price reacts is that he's not excited to go to Uganda. He'd rather go to Orlando. And I've heard that they've now tweaked it so that he's excited about it. Oh, that is not a change that I've heard of. Oh, okay. That might just be a performance thing now instead of like a... Yeah. You know, I feel like it may change from actor to actor too. A directing thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I, like I said, got my call to Texas. My brother went to Bulgaria. Whoa. My, yeah, which was actually pretty intense. Like they went from a democratic state back to communism while he was there and they had to like hide out in their apartments for for a bit while the hostility toward Americans calmed down. Um so I know that was kind of intense. My sister went to Argentina to a, a place called Bahia Blanca. And then I got my call and it took longer than usual and I opened it and it said Texas. And Candace, I'm not going to lie, I wasn't very happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, um... I would have gladly taken Uganda. <laughs> um, what's really kind of karmic and beautiful about that is, I've said this before, I was a big Rosie O'Donnell fan. And the week before on her show, she had had Tom Selleck on and they had gotten to this huge argument about the NRA. And I, of course, had, like, taken Rosie's side because she's Rosie. <laughs> and and so I was, like, trash-talking to my mom, the NRA, and all these things that I had heard on the Rosie O'Donnell show. And I was like, and just because a bunch of Texans want to have their guns, 
cut to the next week, God sends me my calling and it's like, boo, you're going to go to Texas and learn how to love these people that you just spent a good 45 minutes trash talking last week. <laughs> so there you go. But I was I was really excited to be learning Spanish. And I spent most of my time like in the like oil refinery towns in in South Texas working in the Spanish speaking congregations. And it was one of the most profound experiences of my life. But when Elder Price finally does get excited about <laughs> about Uganda, the show does this incredible thing of like kind of recreating the Lion King. And somebody comes out and starts, you know, singing "Ha Sagonia." We then find out that that is, in fact, like a member of the church that Elder Price's father has brought in to, like, give him a, a fair, a fond farewell. Uh, so it's this great fake out. Oh my gosh, it makes me laugh mm, so hard. They think it's going to be something great, only to discover a few, <laughs> a few, <laughs> a, a few, few differences. Numbers, yeah. <laughs> now, let's have a conversation about this. How would you describe the scene when we actually do get to Uganda? What's going on on stage? Mm, so I'm pretty sure you may have to correct me on some things. It's been a while. No, you're good. I'm pretty sure the curtain lifts and it's the village, which is artfully made a beautiful set. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's mud huts and there's a dead donkey being dragged and Everyone is a bit miserable. And yeah, and then that's when you first meet Naba, the character that I played, which I know they did make some changes with her, which mm -hmm. I thought were really cool. But yeah, it's the depiction of, you know, Uganda being this place of ruin and and famine and which I mean, all of Africa is not that, but there are definitely sections of it you know mm -hmm. and that's something that i always did sort of fight for with the show you know to go to africa is to immediately see that africa is an incredibly rich and flourishing and beautiful country but this is the story that's being told right mm -hmm. like this is the part of it that they are sent to. This is the part of it that we are focusing on, which is a real part of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, at least that's how I felt about it. It's how, I mean, maybe it's just how I was able to go to work every day and not feel <laughs> crazy. <laughs> Preach. But um, I don't know. I think there is something to be said about, well, this is the story that's being told. Mm -hmm. For a specific effect, too. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Now, I have no qualms in saying this is the moment in the musical where I feel like I realize that it suffers a bit from what I call Green Book Syndrome. Did you see Green Book, by chance? Yeah. For those who don't know, it's a film. came out a few years ago. It famously won Best Picture at the Academy Awards. Basically, the story is an odd couple pairing of two guys. On one side... You got a black gay prodigy like musician who happens to be like a little bit fussy. And on the other side is a white super racist bigot. <laughs> and by the end of the story, they learn from each other. The white guy becomes less racist. The black guy becomes less fussy. And I can't scream this loud enough. That is a false equivalency. 
like fussy black guy and racist white guy are not on the same plane in terms of character arc. Yeah. Not even close. And when they are presented that way, it reveals a lot of inequity in terms of what is expected from characters, especially where people need to end up in in the story. Absolutely. Where we have to go. <laughs> what work oh. needs to be done. Right. And I know it may seem subtle to, to some people, but it's there. And, and I think that in the Book of Mormon musical, it, it, it's a similar thing. They're spoofing the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints on one side and then Africa on the other side. And the church is being presented as like an over-the-top, vanilla, ignorant to the consequences of their sincerity, like that sort of thing. Like they're too perky. And then Africa is being presented as violent, poor, ill, uneducated. Mm -hmm. So once again, those are not on the same plane. Not at all. And presenting them as like comedic equals reveals, in my opinion, a lot of prejudice. Absolutely. I think 100%. I don't know if it's even like revealing so much as part of Trey and Matt's humor is leaning into the prejudice of the moment. Right. Like, Mm. is it us being like, oh, you guys are prejudiced or them being like, yes, we are all prejudiced. You know? Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I think so. I think. You know, you think they're they're being self-aware enough to. I do. I think as comedians, they. I do. Having met them, they seem like very intelligent and totally non-prejudiced people. I think it's a commentary of how America thinks about Africa. I think it's a commentary of the commercials we grew up seeing of like African children with swollen bellies, like Mm -hmm. asking for a penny, like with with the flies landing on their eyeballs. Yeah. It's like, that's not all that Africa is, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it is how America views Africa. One, you know, 100%. Like we're still in that. I mean, I remember when black is King came out and, a lot of the African dysphoria was upset because a lot of what Beyonce did was in more rural African areas versus like the huge cities and like Mm. the skyscrapers and the richness of it. And, you know, even in that, it's like, yes, that exists. And those stories need to be told, but like, she's also creating an album about the Lion King and like, mm-hmm. yes, it's going to be in the desert. And she is. I, I, and also celebrating what is unique, celebrating what isn't in America. Exactly. Yeah. So, yes, it is poking a bear to mm-hmm. enter Uganda in that way. But um, I don't know. I think there's also t- something to be said about us in America, like seeing that and being like, oh, yeah, that's Africa. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Kind of holding up a mirror and being like, how how are you reacting to this? And once again, hopefully asking yourself why. I totally get that. Yeah. It's a great point. It also makes me wonder, though, because like when you go to Team America, which once again, I think is really funny coming out of 9-11. And so uh, the relationship between America and the Middle East is very heavily spoofed. The country that America is fighting is called Durka Durkistan. 
they went so far as to create a completely different place uh, so that they could be kind of as offensive as they want. Mm-hmm. And here they just chose Uganda. So I wonder where, like, what, why, why is it different here when they went as hard on it as they did then? Yeah, I think that's an extremely valid point. Yeah. No, I don't know. I don't have an answer, but just a question. Me neither. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if, you know, I'd be interested to see if, you know, Trey and Matt would ever do a talk and be able to sit and really talk through their motives when creating it. And even if, you know, they see the error of their ways now, like, I think it, it, it would be cool to just at least have some sort of an acknowledgement of, of mm-hmm. what was done and why it was done and yeah. more of an insight into their humor and, you know. Yeah. Well, and like you said, the machine of Broadway is so different nowadays that back in the day, a musical could win, you know, the Tony Award for Best Musical, have a great life, everybody loves it, and kind of disappear after three or four years. But, you know, mm-hmm. looking at everything that's happened between 2011 and 2021, it's almost unfair to expect that something would play exactly as it did before and still treat it as a machine that it had always been. Like, it, that's not really how art works, naturally. <laughs> You're right. Maybe maybe the system that we see now needs to die away a little bit in order for some of those changes to to go into effect. Absolutely. Once again, I don't know. Yeah. In any case, back to the story. So Elder Price and Elder Cunningham arrive and they um, are met by this guy named Mafala. Mafala. And he is Nabalungi's father, correct? Mm-hmm. Sort of the village chief. Neither of whom are members of the church. No. And Mafala takes the elders, you know, kind of introduces them to the village. He begins to uh, teach them a uh, a phrase, and they feel like they're having their, like, first Hakuna Matata moment. It turns out this phrase actually means F.U. God, <laughs> which I know, once again, might offend some people. I found it hilarious because... That 100% happened to me on my mission. I was with a, a companion who was new to the mission. We call him Greenies. And he didn't know Spanish very well. And so I was like the senior companion. He was the junior companion. And uh, we were talking to this one guy. He told us that he was a Satanist. And then proceeded to talk about like all of his favorite Satanic songs and my companion, who once again is really struggling with the language, doesn't know it very well, is kind of like just picking up on the visual cues of this man who's like smiling. He's very excited about his Satanism. Uh, so he's like smiling and laughing, talking about this song that's called like Kill the Apostles or something like that and jamming out to it. And my companion's like, yeah, like getting into it. And I'm like, no, no, that's not what you don't know what he's saying. So 100 percent. Relatable content. <laughs> that being said, this isn't a real phrase, right? No, it's not. We can we can complain about Lion King all we want, but at least Hakuna Matata is a real phrase. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After that song, they, they get to kind of the mission home where some of the other missionaries are. Uh, we meet Elder McKinley. I mean, if I'm going to talk about how I was on my mission, I was a mixture of Elder McKinley and Elder Price. If they had a love child, that would have been me. Um <laughs> 
Elder Pop-Tarts really makes me laugh because that's so real. Nothing like a bunch of 19-year-old boys fending for themselves to just, like, eat Pop-Tarts all day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's see. What happens What happens after that? Oh, so, like, Elder Price is completely, like, his faith is shook, right? Yeah, because absolutely. He's like, he, where am I? How do these people believe this? How are we going to save their souls? Right. How am I getting to my planet? Can we talk about that briefly? I don't know where we got this. I don't know where that whole planet thing came from. Um, <laughs> Is that not a, a a real thing? Is it not the goal to ascend to your own special planet? I don't what, know what, these things. Once again, it's kind of like, well, thank you for asking, by the way. Once again, it's kind of one of those things where you take away the spiritual side of things. And then you're like, yeah, I guess the only word to describe it would be a planet. Like, all of a sudden you start defining it by astronomy and you're like, no, that doesn't make sense at all. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, like a very that's not how it feels. Way of <laughs> describing something so it is not of this world. It's- right, right. It's like when you start studying physics and you start realizing like time is a human construct and you're like, whoa, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and all of a sudden everything just seems so physical and temporary and limiting. Uh, that's what some of this verbiage feels like to me. I'm like, all right, well, I guess if you're going to compare it to something very human and mortal and whatever, then sure. I guess planet. Go for it. <laughs> but yeah, so he's like trying to figure out what on earth he's going to do. Elder McKinley, who's, a, bless his heart, a little bit gay, decides that he's going to share something that he's learned, uh, which is you just turn off those doubts. Just turn them off. Think about something else. I have uh, no experience in that whatsoever. (laughs) It's very real. Yeah, it's very real. I mean, and I think that is beyond even just Mormonism. I think that is in traditional religion, period. I think Mm -hmm. about even in the Black community when it comes to gayness you know Mm -hmm. a lot of the older generations that is not something that is accepted or you know encouraged it's very much so like pray the gay away i think Mm -hmm. that is something that is in doctrine within organized religion period you know what's interesting is like mckinley has a point if dwelling on something negative doesn't isn't helping then don't do it i understand the truth in what he's saying. And then you apply it to some of these things where fear is also playing a part, you know, fear of sexuality, fear of speaking your truth. And then all of a sudden it's highly dysfunctional. So I I sometimes wonder if the dysfunction comes from applying principles that feel right in other situations, thinking that they're going to solve the ones that are actually based in fear. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, I would like to think that Elder McKinley goes home and meets a lovely boy and they live happily ever after, where hopefully maybe he can still teach Sunday school. (laughs) Um, This actually works. It's a great tab number. Super cute. Are there any songs that I've forgotten so far that that you feel like are worth talking about? No, you've been hitting them all on the head. All right. I, I guess the song doesn't really work, though, does it? Because at the end of the night, Price is still total riddled with anxiety. And then 
I think that this is really beautiful. Elder Cunningham, who has always felt like the second banana, all of a sudden turns out to be the hero of the story, starting now. We suddenly see everything that makes him who he is is actually what's going to save everyone. He wants his companion to be successful and happy, and he is there for him. And it's this really sweet song called I Am Here For You. So with that pep talk, Elder Price is now going to the villagers to teach about the doctrine of Christ. Uh, I guess they, they focus a lot on Joseph Smith in the song called All-American Prophet. Mm, I mean, any buzzers? I know you only have one left. I only but... have one left. I'm saving it. Okay, you're saving. You're saving. <laughs> it's okay. I'm saving it. It's actually kind of a weird save, but I, I okay, have to do it. Okay, but yeah. you have a plan. You have a plan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What I love about this song is that it it reveals that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is very much an American church. And we believe we say that all the time. Like this church would not have happened in any other country. Right. I, I mean it was difficult enough for them to find a place to and I, by them I mean like the early saints, the early members of the church. It was hard enough for them to figure out a place where they could worship freely in a country that was built on religious freedom. So try and do that in a country where religious freedom isn't in the constitution, good luck. It's not going to happen. Yeah. But that's how they ended up in Utah to begin with. Now, in this song, they talk about how Joseph Smith was martyred. He was killed by mobs. And right before he does die, he has this prayer to God where he says, if I die without them having seen kind of the miracles that have been brought about, then how are they ever going to believe? And then he goes, oh, I, I guess that was your point. And then he dies. And I think that that is such a beautiful moment. Ah, I love that. It's so sweet because it's both hilarious. I mean, it's, it's hilarious because you're making fun of death. Um, but, but at the same time, he's having this like crisis of faith. And then in his prayer, he's like, oh, nope. I understand the assignment. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So great. Oh, so the fact that this all takes place in America, the song sounds like, I don't know, like a like an American revival type yeah, song. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Giving the whitest rap of them all. Oh my gosh, it's full Harold Hill. Very, very, oh, you got trouble, my friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, in this village is a general. Can you say his name, please, so I don't have general, to? General, but fucking naked. And the general... Who is a real general? Really? Like, he's based on an actual person? He's based on an actual person. Wow. Good for him. And why is he called that? Because when he murders, he does it but fucking naked. Because he doesn't want to ruin his clothes. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, uh, I yeah, get he it. is a real person, a real person who I think is now a Mormon missionary. There was a full conversion? Yes, there was a full conversion. Wowzers. Real person, real story. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure there are YouTube videos of him giving sermons. Wow. Well... In this story, at this point, he is demanding that all of the female villagers be circumcised, like genitally mutilated. Which is also real. That's a real thing, but it's usually not done by the men, right? 
Yes, it is done by the men. Is it? The, the villages are completely um it's like guerrilla warfare in a lot of parts of uganda this is a part of the story that is very real um these like uh warlords come and infiltrate these villages they kill the men they it's called ruining the women um Mm. they rape them they cut off their clits and yeah, these women are then made into like their slaves in every form of the word. Um, when I was learning the show, Ruined was also on Broadway at the time, um, mm. which <clears throat> is sort of like a very serious, very real version of the Ugandan part of the Book of Mormon, which I thought was very interesting when I was working on my own character development. And it gives the story of these like four Ugandan girls living in a place a lot like this village in the Book of Mormon. And I think one of them has been ruined. The book is based really on one girl and it's the story of how this happens to her Um, and how it is an intense fear within like women all throughout these areas in Uganda. And yeah, it's a very real thing that they do. Goodness gracious. Mm-hmm. Well, that's hilarious. Hilarious. Trey Parker, Matt Stone. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's pretty incredible that they can still get laughs out of this kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's because people don't believe that it's real. People think that it's just something that they've made up. I Mm. mean, it's a lot of what I talked about whenever doing press in the show. Like, a lot of the interviewers didn't know either. And, like, it was one of the things they were like, well, this is just so ridiculous. And, like, how do you feel doing this every night? And I would just be like, I feel like it's an opportunity to tell a real story in a way that is digestible in a different way, you know, mm. like mm-hmm. a person can go see ruined and want to do research and understand that this is real. And there is a world where a person could go see the book of Mormon and, you know, be like, I wonder and type it in and be like, Oh wow. Mm-hmm. Like this really happens. I think it's a conversation starter. And I think, while we are making fun of this, this is something that is happening. It's something that grounded me a lot in my character. I wanted to play Nabalungi as someone where this was a very real fear. And this is why she wants to go to Salt Lake City, because this is something that could happen at any point. Wow. That's so fantastic. Thank you for sharing. I'm just realizing right now that I don't, I think I have always confused female circumcision with gen- with like female genital mutilation. But like both of which are known to happen in Africa. I remember reading Im- Iman's story, like the the model Iman who was circumcised at a young age. Um but it was by like the village woman doctor who does that to all of the women, the girls once they come to a certain age. So like there's that and then there's what you're talking about which is like full on mutilation as a source of terror and power. Yes. And I I think I had confused those two and I'm just now realizing. So thank you for that. Yeah, of course. I didn't know about Iman. It's a really crazy story with some imagery that I had read in college and haven't have never forgot about. Mm. 
when the general comes in and kind of announces all that, one of the villagers protests and like he full on shoots him. The blood splatters all over Elder Price. So any like confidence that he had about this going well has been pretty much destroyed. But what he has said and what he has shared has touched Naba in a way that has given her hope and something to look forward to. Yeah, absolutely. Talk to me about singing Salt Lake City. Mm, one of the best songs in the whole show. Songs. Yeah, I I loved playing Nabalungi in general. I think she fit in so well with the the period of my life that I was in. So so hopeful and like filled with joy and like I think there is such beauty in being naive and I think that song in a nutshell is like all of us when we're 16 years old and (laughs) dreaming of something bigger and better. And, you know, it's me when I first got the the call that I was being sent to New York to audition for the show, you know, like I loved that song and I loved her character and I was able to tap into that very easily every night i mean i still felt it i still feel it you know it's it's such a reflection in all of us i think we all can relate to naba in that way and feeling like we deserve this dream simply because we exist (laughs) we all deserve freedom and and beauty and and ease and yeah I loved that song. It's my favorite one in the show. Not just because I got to sing it, but because I think it has so much heart and hope in it. And it's a great song. I really connect to it because I think that a lot of the sentiments that she talks about in it are what my ancestors felt when they came to Utah with this like hope of reaching Salt Lake City and reaching a place where you can worship how you want and and like it's all full of promise, right? And then the church, I remember a very specific, reading a very specific like talk or sermon in one of the general conferences in, I believe, the 70s, in which one of the leaders said, all right, like in order to believe the hope of this message, you don't need to come here. You can find this wherever you are. And I think that that was a real turning point for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints because now it was like we're a worldwide church and we're brothers and sisters and we're united in faith no matter where you are. You don't have to come to Utah. And I think that the church and the leadership is learning how to do that better and better. That That's encouraging to me. Now, speaking as a gay member of the church, I once again realized we got a long way to go. Yeah. What I do focus on is that I believe we're making steps in the right direction. And the more I'm there, the more steps I think will be taken, (laughs) or at least the steps that I want to be taking. Um, Yeah. Now, at the end of the first act, the mission president, who's like the villain of this musical, (laughs) uh, has requested like a progress report, which is very true. Like when you're on your mission, Numbers are kind of important to keep these like 19 year olds on track and (laughs) doing what they set out to do. So like they encourage you to talk to this many people and uh, do this many hours of service a week and like those sorts of things. And let's be honest, like nothing is happening in this area. 
So Elder Price is terrified of like the mission president finding out about this and he decides to like leave, right? Mm-hmm. And so with Price gone, Nabalungi comes after seeing Salt Lake City and is like, I'm ready. Let's do this. And and Cunningham's like, oh, crap, Price isn't here. Uh, I, I guess I need to man up. Yeah, 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 yeah. And this song is is such a great first act closer. I mean, once again, brilliant musical theater trajectory, like right on point. No, you're absolutely right. Like, because Cunningham is finding his own strength uh, and we have seen him be such an like an open-hearted vessel this entire time that we're excited to see him empowered. Then musically, they're incorporating uh, Nabalungi singing Salt Lake City. Everybody's doing their little bits, and it's it's just fantastic musical theater. Every character is on stage. There's so many costs. It's it's amazing. It's amazing. So great. At the top of Act Two, now Cunningham has to like actually walk the walk and so he's beginning to teach the villagers unfortunately his imagination comes up again and he starts making things up it's based on all sorts of doctrines he may have taken to heart like lord of the rings or star wars and he has created this culmination of all of these things to help uh to help the villagers with whatever problem they may come up with one of the cutest numbers in the show (laughs) I think he has visits from Joseph Smith himself, his father, Darth Vader, Yoda, all these people who are like, what are you doing, Arnold? He's like, I don't know, but like, this is just all I can. This is the best I can do. They like it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's working, right? Like these stories are meeting them where they are and helping them process the trauma that they're going through, even though they're absolutely made up and have horribly offensive things like joseph smith effing a fuck for, uh, had, not me effing been saying the word <laughs> <laughs> well i wasn't about to say make love to a frog yeah like <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't give quite the same context Jeez. but that... it's something that they understand he's like relating it I don't know. He's lying. He's yeah. he's lying. That's he's making up stories. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. No matter how you spin it. Speaking of spinning, Elder Price is spinning out of control because he has entered what he calls spooky Mormon hell dream. Essentially, his his guild is running amok on his subconscious. So he is officially at the same level as uh, Genghis Khan, Jeffrey Dahmer, Adolf Hitler, Johnny Cochran, because he has broken, like, rule number 72 or whatever uh, in leaving his companion. Which is true, by the way. You have to be with your companion at all times unless it's to go to the bathroom. Whoa. I did not know that that was, that it was like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. When it came time for me to leave and I was on the plane by myself, whew, that was confronting. I was like... Because you're, like... you're used to having a buddy for two years right by your side. Mm. So when Price awakens from this spooky dream, he recommits to his mission and heads back. He sees that Cunningham is having an incredible amount of success. So now he's excited to jump in and teach as well. He starts to sing, I believe, which is like great 11 o'clock number early in, in the second act. Funny exciting, uh, lots of high E vowels, which God bless. 
And yeah, anything to say about this song? It's really funny. Yeah, it's a funny song. I mean... Lots of talk about planets. Lots of talks about planets. (laughs) And just, you know, giving the, like you said, the straight face separated from the spiritual, like, list of I am a Mormon and this is what a Mormon believes, you know? Totally, totally. By the way, anybody out there... I never used the word Mormon to describe myself. <laughs> I read that today, didn't? I mean, that's been completely changed, right? Yeah, and yeah, in fact, the church has actually had a like made a statement about it, which I was so happy to to hear because it never made sense to me. It would be like calling people of the Jewish faith Moseses. Like it doesn't make any sense doctrinally. And it was just a nickname that people gave to members of of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints early on, and then I guess because we tend to be like nice people, we were like, sure, call us that. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> we just kind of went along with it. But yeah, it doesn't really make much sense. Mormon is just the name of a prophet like Moses or Noah or anything else. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. 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 So in the middle of I believe, I guess this is a kind of important, he <laughs> goes to the general and is like, I'll preach to you. That ends in one of my favorite visual gags I've ever seen in the theater, which is him having to go to the doctor to have the Book of Mormon removed from his rectum. (laughs) I laughed so hard. So funny. (laughs) Cunningham is still preaching. Villagers commit to baptism. It's a really beautiful scene. Gave me the chills. You see, it's it's staged really well. It's it feels um, respectful, and you feel like these villagers are taking this decision seriously. You know, it's really sweet. That leads into all of the missionaries singing "I Am Africa," which is. Do you think people understand that the song is hilarious? Yes, one hundred percent. I hope so. I, I think so. I mean, via what I remember, audience reactions being definitely okay. Yeah. Basically, these missionaries are like, are like on such a high that they're like, I am Africa. And we're all like, no, you're not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Especially with Elder McKinley leading it. Oh, yeah. I just, the musical is freaking funny. It is. It has a lot of issues. Yes. But it is hilarious no it really and if these characters weren't really well drawn it wouldn't be funny it wouldn't it would just be offensive like you would not feel the urge to laugh or conversate about it or you know what i mean like 100 percent. now uh even though everybody is on a high elder price is at a new low man this guy (laughs) just a can't get a break yeah um so he's drowning his sorrows in coffee which is of course hilarious (laughs) cunningham finds him and convinces him to come back because the mission president is going to be there and they at least need to have like be companions right like even if you're not interested in doing this can you please be here so that we don't get in trouble for not being together and he agrees they go back the mission president arrives And the villagers who have now become new members of the church decide to put on a pageant as a thank you for everything that Elder Cunningham has taught them. Of course, he is freaking out because he knows that he has taught them a bullshit. (laughs) 
And so they begin to reenact these crazy scenarios, including all of the frog love. And the mission of pre- president is, of course, horrified. <laughs> um, but anyway, the magic's broken, right? And Nabulungi realizes that these stories that she that had helped everyone so much weren't true, and um, and that that's devastating to her, right? Yeah, and that she's not going to Salt Lake City. Oh, hello, right? Yeah, and she's like, "I'm all packed. I'm like, I'm ready to go. Oh. Like, I hope you love the show." And the president's like, "You're not going anywhere." And she's like, <laughs> "He said." Like, didn't you say that I was going to? No. Or Cunningham is like, no. And she is heartbroken. Yeah, definitely one of the most heart-wrenching parts of the show, for sure. Now, with some of the changes that they've made to the show, she's still, she still has this, like, wide-eyed innocence and, and, and hope. But they have, I think, tried to make her less ignorant. Would, would you agree with that? Took away the typewriter. Oh, yeah. There's this whole typewriter bit where she's like trying to text people on a typewriter. Um, now she has an iPad and apparently it's about like Internet or something like her her Internet. The, and I don't know. She can't send the, <laughs> of the Internet. <laughs> but um yeah. So, but like she could also just Google Salt Lake City, right? And that whole thing would be over. Yeah, you know, still some some chinks. <laughs> <in there>. Honestly, <laughs> I love the typewriter bit. Honestly, you know, really? Did you like that? Yeah. It does kind of seem like of all the things to change, the typewriter bit was the really was the one calling for. Yeah, it's like I'm not getting that she's ignorant from that. I'm getting that they don't have phones. Like, you know, <laughs> but okay. Interesting. Okay, they're trying. They're trying. They're trying. Yeah, steps are being made. Yeah. Uh, so when Nabalungi realizes that the stories that Cunningham have told have been, has been telling are not true, it it destroys her. But then the villagers say. No, we always knew. All along. Like, what do you mean, girl? They're metaphors. Yeah. <laughs> right. And and she's like, oh, gosh, you're right. So then that empowers, like, this next section. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Nabalungi saves the day now. I've not seen it. I have read about it, and I, like, briefly talked to Cody, my elder Cunningham, who's the elder Cunningham on Broadway right now, and... Hmm. Apparently, like, it's cute. It works. I don't know how it happens. <laughs> gotcha. So, yeah. But it used to be, you know, Elder Cunningham scares him away with more of his, like, stories. and Yeah. So, like, basically, the villagers are using the stories of all of these frog curses and things mm-hmm. uh, to create fear in the general so that he won't mutilate everybody. Right. Uh I think the nail on the coffin is that he'll like turn into a lesbian, right? Which is like the worst possible thing that could ever happen. And from what I understand, Nabalungi is the one who who drives that home. Yeah. That, that comes from her. Which is cool. That's a great change. Yeah, it's a great change. Let her save the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it. So then this leads to the last song, which is called Tomorrow is a Latter Day. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> 
It's my last buzzer, you guys. I'm so sorry. I don't understand the usage of the word ladder in this musical. Tomorrow is a ladder day. Yeah. Earlier on, doesn't Elder Price say, like, the latter days are the afterlife, salvation. And, like, that's, that's a big buzzer. That's not right. That's not real. Latter days are now. Oh, okay, okay. Like, when we say the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we're talking about, like, okay, Christ set up a church, had his apostles in the olden days, in the oldie, oldie times, as Sarah Silverman would say. And then the organization was like brought back to earth and reorganized into these, the latter days. So I'm not saying that the ending number doesn't make sense because it's a great time. But I will say that when I first saw it, I was like, I don't quite understand. (laughs) Yeah, because it is. It's a great it's a great number. It's all about hope. It's like Annie tomorrow. You know, It, it really is like look to the silver lining, look for the rainbow, all of all of those great musical theater things that leave us leaving the theater on a high. It's all right here in this in this last number. Yeah, it's the the coming together of the nice bow on top. Mm-hmm. And in a really funny little reprise, now we're back to Hello, in which all of these villagers are sharing the message that they received of hope, not just through the Book of Mormon, but through the Book of Arnold, right? Yeah. <laughs> what Elder Cunningham gave them. You know, it's not just the doctrine. It's about asking yourself, like, why am I here? I remember walking around in, in a trailer park, you know, talking to people. And I'm like, why am I, Jeffrey Scott Parsons, lover of sequins and tap shoes, walking around a trailer park in South Texas? <gasps> like, why am I here? What specifically am I, why was I called here? And um, And I think that there's a way that only you can affect the people in the world that you come in contact with. And when you own that, then you start writing your story, right? You you write your own Book of Arnold or Book of Mormon or whatever, and you can change the world. With your story, yeah. Amen. Yeah. I love that, and I, and I think that's what we're left with. I think so, too. I think, I mean, it's so funny, like, talking about this has brought so much, uh, like, warmth. I love that show. Oh. <laughs> it is actually, like, so good and you know i appreciate their openness to trying to change it for the better i hope that dialogue can continue because i do think that you know it is their responsibility if it's going to be the longest running show and Mm -hmm. be running as times are changing and people are awakening and like i do think it is a responsibility of theirs to clarify and educate themselves and other people and i see such potential for for its longevity and i hope that they handle it with continued grace you know yeah but all in all what a show what a show what a great time yeah i don't think i would ever take my mom to it but i'd take my brother (laughs) yeah my brother would like it I hear it plays so well in Salt Lake City. Like, I'm sure. Love it. Look, anybody who takes themselves too seriously. Yeah. Not interested. Probably over 50. Probably would not spend money to go see the Book of Mormon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Thank you so much for doing this, Candace. I had a really great time. Oh, thank you for having me. Your your perspective brought so much, and and I hope that what we're left with is what the show leaves us with, which is hope. Mm-hmm. As always, if you have recommendations for shows you'd like us to cover on a musical theater podcast, you can always email me at a musical podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media on Twitter and Instagram at a musical podcast. We also have Patreon exclamation point where for only one dollar a month you can receive bonus content and also support the regular show. And if you want to support the show even more, please leave us a nice review and go to our T Public store. So many ways to stay connected. Appreciate you guys. Hey, Miss Candace, how do we follow you and everything you're up to? Um, yeah, so you can follow me on Instagram at, at Candace Corals. Um, I also am a member of a band called Mermaid with my partner, Brittany. Um, you can find us on Instagram at, at mermaid.band. We have music on Spotify, underneath Mermaid. You can find our link tree there. Uh, yeah, please support us and our magical, magical music. You guys sound so amazing together. For those who may not realize, Brittany, the other half of Mermaid, was on the show. She was on our Aida episode. So, yeah. And you two sound glorious together on your music. So everyone, please check that out. And everybody out there, thank you for listening. Always remember, today and tomorrow are latter days. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.